Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. Hey everyone, welcome to the Live Richer Podcast. I'm excited about today's topic because we have the one and only Patrice Washington here to talk about how to build credit. Patrice is an award-winning author, speaker, and media personality committed to redefining the term wealth to its original meaning, well-being. She is the founder of the international community called Redefining Wealth, where she teaches people how to weave all areas of their life together through purpose. Patrice, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Honestly, when it comes to my credit score, there was a time when I had really bad credit and it took a long time to build that credit up. And it came from being uneducated when it comes to my credit score. I was one of those people that opened up, I don't know, maybe 10 different credit cards when I was in college. And I got a little crazy when it came to that because I was wanted to get that extra 20% offer bonus. Right. And I wasn't keeping my credit the way it should be. And um, what are some things people need to know when it comes to having good credit and how they can do that? I mean, what do you think is causing that misconception? Well, let me start with this. You are not alone. I also got into a lot of credit card debt when I was in college. So same as you, I did not grow up hearing about credit and having these deliberate conversations about money. Uh, never sat at the dining room table and had like a, hey, here's how to build your credit score. I actually learned the very emotional route, which I think many of us do. I looked at credit cards as an emotional thing. My single mom used to use credit cards on the only day of the week that she got off, which is Saturday, to take me shopping. So I equated using credit cards with love and affection and spending time together. So it's no wonder that when I got to college, Jamie, I don't know what it was for you. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't to save the 20 percent. I was in college with five credit cards. By 21, I had $18,000 in credit card debt because I was buying my friends pizzas, groceries. And if someone didn't have book money, I was like, girl, I got it and I will put it on my credit card. I never understood what really happened after. I got that you can maybe pay the minimum payment, but I had no bigger concept for how credit really worked. And just like you, that lack of education, but then also all of this emotional stuff that I was attaching to it is what got me into trouble really early as well. So you're not alone. And I think many people listening probably have their own version. Yeah, I think you don't, when you're younger, no one really talked to me about a credit score. I had no idea even what it was, actually, Patrice, until I needed to get something and they told me my credit score wasn't good enough and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you experienced that. And how did you get out of that credit card debt? And what did you do to fix your credit score? Well, one of the first things that I had to do was just get educated. And you started with like, what are the misconceptions? And I think for anyone who is building or rebuilding credit right now, it's just important to understand some of the very basic and fundamental things about credit so that you don't feel overwhelmed or like it's above your your understanding. Right. 
And it's one of the reasons I actually have partnered with Capital One. They have this insight center and you're going to love this credit belief survey because you might hear some of what your former self thought in this. And I know that as I looked at the results, I was thinking, "Mm mm-hmm. This was me. This was me back in the day, too. So the credit belief survey, let me share some of the misconceptions. And I just want to say this. These misconceptions go across age range. So it's not like, oh, just 18 year olds or 21 year olds. It goes across credit score ranges and it goes across gender. These are just things that Americans as a whole, typically we just are not too clear about. So let me say the first one. One of the first ones is. 27% of Americans incorrectly believe that checking their credit is going to negatively impact their score. So you know how you said, I didn't even know I had a score. You didn't know until you wanted something. Most people are not even checking the score because 27% incorrectly believe checking it will have a negative impact. And then you had another 19% who were like, I don't know. I don't know what it'll do. I'm just not even concerned. How can we get better credit when we don't even know where we're starting from, right? That's the first thing. And then on the flip side, you have about 28% of people who incorrectly believe that those hard credit checks that you get when you go to a company or a business to apply for credit doesn't affect their score at all. Well, that's incorrect because those hard inquiries definitely impact your score. But when you have 28% of people who say, I don't know, if it's going to impact it, and then another 25% who say, I'm, I'm just like out of the loop again, how can we expect to get better when we don't know those two very fundamental and basic elements? And those are things I didn't know back in the day either. Did you? I didn't even know how to check my credit score. I, I knew nothing. I went to buy a house and I actually had good credit at one point. And then I was like, oh, I have this thing called credit. And then I just opened up a whole bunch of credit cards. And like, I think it was like 22 at the time. I was. I honestly had no conception of what it even was. And it even is hard nowadays, I'll be honest, you know, till I started really learning about my credit score, I didn't even know what affected it. I was told, oh, you have to have a credit card, right? To build credit. But, the, you know, and pay it off on time or you hear different things. Oh, you got to have things to have credit, but they don't tell you how to manage that credit. You know what I mean? Like, right. well, how much credit do I need? Like, you, you tell me to go get a credit card, but also you just gave me free money, it feels like, when you're young, right? I, I, isn't that how you felt? I was like, oh, man, I got a $10,000 limit. Oh, I, I could do a lot with that. I didn't even think about how I was going to pay it back. So I'm like the worst example when it comes to credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think we all have our stories. And The bigger thing is that we're having the conversation because that's what allows people to see that they're not alone, right? Because there's usually so much shame and guilt and embarrassment associated with credit. It's as if we have to wear like this credit score, like on our foreheads as we walk around, but people have such shame. And when we talk about it, it just normalizes it because you didn't know anything about what a credit score was. There's also 42% of people, this survey says, They believe everyone over 18 automatically has a score, whether they have applied for credit or not. And that was something that I thought at one time, too, is like all adults have a credit score. It wasn't until I became a real estate and mortgage broker, you know, at 21 years old, straight out of college, that I would meet people who would say, "Um, you know, I've never had a credit card. I've bought a car cash. I've never used any credit of any kind. I've been saving money. Now I'm ready to buy a house. 
And then we would pull their credit and realize they had no credit. And back in the day, we used to say, well, no credit is it's kind of like bad credit because yeah. we don't have anything that proves that you are responsible yet. Right. With repaying credit. And so even th- that was in 2003 in 2023, we're still saying that almost half the people are still confused about this. I sometimes feel like, oh, everybody knows what a credit score is. And then I have to reflect back to my younger self and how I didn't know. I think it's really one of those things that unless you're trying to use it or someone has taught you about it, you don't know anything about it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And like you said, your mom was taking you shopping and how she shopped with you is your credit card. And now everything we buy, they say you have to have a credit card of some sort to actually purchase it. We don't even use cash anymore or checks. So you're having to use your credit score a lot and in a lot of different places. And you being, a, like you said, you've been raised by a single mother. I'm curious, how were you taught about money and what was that journey like for you? I'm mean, here. You're now this personal finance expert and you have, what, 15 million people looking at you for advice. How did that happen for you? I mean, how did you just become so good at money? Uh, it wasn't it wasn't overnight. I learned a lot about basic personal finance when I became the real estate and mortgage broker. Twenty two years old, uh, we launched a boutique real estate and mortgage company. And I realized that many of my clients were twice my age, but they didn't know any of this stuff. It's just like we're saying with the survey across age ranges and gender, people just don't know this stuff. So they would come in and say, I'm ready to buy my dream home. And then we would start looking at their debt and their credit and their savings. So I became obsessed with helping people really up their financial literacy and their financial education beyond just, I want you to be my client to buy a house. I started to learn everything that I could. And in reading books and going to seminars and attending conferences at that young age, I just I did what my first grade teacher taught me. Miss Boynton in first grade said to me, Miss Cunningham, which is my maiden name, when you know something, you have a responsibility to share with friends. And I have been that way since first grade. When I know something, I just have a deep desire to share it. So when I started to get more understanding about credit and about wealth building and debt elimination and all of these things, How I really got better personally was whatever I learned, I shared publicly. So I would share with my clients and do these little webinars and, you know, lunch and learns and those types of things. And my career grew from there well before people knew me as America's Money Maven. It was just a girl in South Central Los Angeles who had a desire to share. And you're doing a wonderful job. I can't believe all the amazing things you've done, Patrice, and how many people's lives you've touched since you started on this journey to help people when it comes with their money. You know, we're just here talking about credit right now. What are some simple things people can do to fix their credit? Yeah, I would say the first place to start with is just monitoring your credit report and your credit score. You know, going back to people who are just you know, sometimes so afraid or intimidated by it, Jamie, that they won't even try to seek out how do I check my credit score? And so when you have these big financial goals and you have these dreams um, that are going to require credit and money, you need to know what the starting point is. And Capital One actually offers a really great tool. It's called CreditWise. 
You don't have to even have a Capital One credit card to use CreditWise, but it allows you to do a soft inquiry. So not the hard pull, which is the, the pull that will, yes, ding your credit a little bit. It's a soft inquiry that you can check as often as you need to, but it's a great way to know where you're starting, if there's anything that might be negatively impacting your credit report. They have a simulator that you can use to see if I pay down certain things, how will that impact my score? Or, you know, if I'm late on something, how does that impact my score? So I would say that is a great place to start. Just you need to monitor your credit score at a base level. See where you are so that you know where you're going. Say I was in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. What should I start doing with that? Start paying off? How can I start paying off those credit cards? Or what, what, what should be my first thing? I, I've signed up for CreditWise. I see all the things I got out there. I see my score. What should I do next? Well, if we're talking about like a, a debt elimination tool or something like that, I really believe in like using a debt multiplier. That's personally what I've done in the past. So when I get clear about what's on my credit, I look at like literally each credit line, what the balances are, what the minimum payments are. I make sure everything is correct. First of all, if it's not correct, there's something to, to look at there. And I start to put that in order and figure out which one of these I can pay off first or do I need to reach out to my creditors? But I know a lot of people end up looking at their credit and realizing that those heart inquiries really do make a difference. So one thing that I suggest is using pre-approval tools. If you know that you need to get credit for something, let's say it's an auto loan purchase or a home purchase before or a credit card, before you start going out and just allowing many people to run your credit, which does have a negative impact, you can use something like a pre-approval tool. Capital One offers a free tool if you're looking for a credit card, for example, where again, it's a soft inquiry and you can put in all of the information and see what you would qualify for without it negatively impacting your credit. So using pre-approval tools are really helpful in like securing your credit and keeping it, you know, fresh without going down and down and down with all the inquiries. You know, one thing I did when I was fixing mine is I signed up for a credit monitoring service so I could see it as I was fixing it, as it went up, like you just said, working on it so I could check my credit score without going in and getting that ding on there by doing it a hard credit check. I think that's great advice to give people. Mm -hmm. And Patrice, going back to another time when we spoke, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. You shared mm -hmm. to me that there was a time when things weren't going very good for you, when they had the big crash with the mortgage crisis and said everything fell. Yeah. I mean, was that how you started the blog? I can't remember exactly, but you told me that story. And I would love for to have you share the story of how you started your blog today on the podcast. I think it would be really inspirational for people to learn about your journey and how it just always wasn't smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. And what I want to say before I even get into the story is that no matter what you learn, life is a journey, right? And so I knew so many things about credit by 2008. So started really in 2003, built this great business. And then in 2007, I found myself on hospital bed rest. I had taken a fall down the stairs while I was 20 weeks pregnant and it sent me into preterm labor. So when I got to the hospital, Jamie, they said, hey, ma'am, I'm so sorry. This baby's coming any minute now. There's nothing we can do. And what was supposed to be a night, you know, in the emergency room literally turned into me being on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks. So I'm in the hospital on bed rest in Beverly Hills, California for 10 weeks 
looking every day at the news because the banks are closing down one by one. The recession is building. The mortgage industry is like imploding. And every day I'm watching the news. Banks that I work with are closing down. I have this belt around my waist that is monitoring uh, my daughter. And I'll never forget the day that my doctor comes in and she says, Patrice, I don't know what you're stressing about, but if you don't stop, you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby. Because the year before I had a son, same doctor, same hospital, same floor, and he passed away prematurely. And so here I am in the hospital with, I think, this this decision to make. Am I going to let this stuff stress me out or am I going to surrender? And I chose to surrender, which I interpreted at one point in my life as, you know, someone who surrenders gives up. But I realized that in that moment, I was letting go of the control that I thought I had over anything going on in the news or what was going on in my business with loan officers and real estate agents who were freaking out and calling me every day about deals falling apart. And I had to tell myself, Jamie, that if I did it before, I'll do it again. But I can't consume every thought with what's going on on the news and what's going on with these deals and out in the world. I want to bring my baby into the world healthy. And so I had them take the TV off the wall in the hospital. I didn't even want to be tempted to look at it. I only had an iPod that back in the day with like inspirational music, praise and worship music. I had a journal and I had a Bible. And that is how I spent the last several weeks of my hospital bed rest. And so my daughter was born healthy. But after she left the NICU, three and a half weeks in the NICU, when I got out of the hospital, I realized that I now had a healthy baby. And I had a healthy amount of medical debt. I had racked up over $300,000 in medical debt because my insurance dropped me while I was in the hospital. So I went from very quickly, about a year, in a year, my whole life was upside down. I went into the hospital, this seven-figure business earner, right? And then like a year later, I'm scraping up change to get milk to feed my daughter. My home is foreclosed. My cars have been repossessed and we have gone from a 6,000 square foot home in Southern California to living in a 600 square foot box of an apartment in Metairie, Louisiana. And still to this day, when I think about that, it was one of the lowest points of my life, but I'm also very grateful for it because without that season, I always had passion for financial education. I was passionate about helping people and talking about credit and all of these things. But it wasn't until I had that experience that I learned compassion because I had real life experience with so many of the things that, you know, people I would meet were going through as well. And so that's where I really had the opportunity to implement all this great knowledge I had been out getting. (laughs) So the books and, you know, the conferences and the seminars, I had been gathering information for quite some time. But that season in 2009 is when I really had my breakdown. It was March 9, 2009. That was the day that I realized that I had all of this knowledge and all of this information, but I lacked wisdom. So I would learn things, but I didn't necessarily know when and how to apply it. And all these things that I had learned about stuff like credit, I could apply it on a high level because I was in a decent place, but it wasn't until I found myself at the lowest that I could go, oh, Okay, now now I really have to see if monitoring (laughs) my credit and using these tools and doing all this stuff actually happens. And that's why I'm so passionate about it today, though, Jamie, is because 
I've been there, done that, and I've, I've had to rebuild multiple times. So my passion for redefining wealth and for everything that I do and why I come out and want to spread information like this about credit beliefs is because I know what it's like to be uncertain and not know and suffer in silence because it's one of those things that we just don't talk about and we wait until our backs are all the way up against the wall to even hint at the idea that, you know, finding information or resources or tools, most of us just suffer in silence. And I was definitely someone, 2008, early 2009, I spent a lot of time suffering in silence. I let shame and fear and guilt and embarrassment keep me in a bad situation, maybe a little longer than it had to. What finally got you out? Well, one of the first things was uh, March 9, 2009, when I had, uh, I call it a come to Jesus moment. So I had to chase the power man down that day and ask him to turn the lights back on or my daughter's milk would spoil. And I did not have $2 and 25 cents or whatever it was to go get milk. And I chased him with my, my baby on my hip. And we also had taken an eviction notice off the door maybe days before that. And I was at that point. I don't know if you've ever been sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, I have. I was definitely at the point of just being sick and tired and fed up. And my husband at the time took my daughter on a walk and I got in the bathroom mirror and I was like, God, you got to do something like I am at the end of my rope. I have been a good person. I operate in integrity. I've tried to do things the right way. I've tried to help people as much as possible. This should not be happening to me. I essentially had a woe is me, like full breakdown, ugly cry, like fetal position on the bathroom floors where I ended up. And I, I ended up feeling this nudge to get my Bible. And I landed on this scripture that I always tell people, whether you're religious or not, it's a great quote, if you will. But it was Proverbs 17, 16. And it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool? If they have no desire to seek wisdom, it's why my Instagram name to this day is seek wisdom. What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? And something about that verse just lit up in in my soul and my spirit. I have recently learned of this idea of a blog and going back to what Miss Boynton, my first grade teacher, said. When you know something, you have a responsibility to share with friends. And the next day I started a free blogspot.com. Uh, Jamie, it was so ugly. It's still up oh to this goodness. day. I don't have the password. I have no idea how to change it. It is still <laughs> out there. Um, but it is where I started in 2009. I started that blog because I wanted to just share um, about any any financial tips. And, you know, the real reason that came about, too, is because Obviously, at the moment, I was at my worst financially. I was in one of the worst financial positions I had ever experienced in my life. Even as a kid growing up in South Central Los Angeles, I had never experienced eviction notices and the possibility of lights being cut off and driving with no car insurance. Never. This was a hard time. Never growing up was my mom on welfare. I ended up applying for welfare and for WIC and all of these things. And something inside me, I would say my purpose, like I had the audacity, <laughs> the audacity to think that I could still be of service to others. And 
There was something inside that said, you lost all your money, but your mind isn't bad. You've been studying this stuff. You love this stuff. You have something to contribute and you need to share and also be honest with people that I don't have it all figured out, but the things that I know, I feel pretty good about and I'm willing to share. And that has been my heart's posture since 2009 is that when I know something, I just want to share it in the hopes that it will make someone else's journey smoother. So, you know, when I'm talking about, hey, you can go to something like Capital One's Learn and Grow and get these financial tips. Like, I just want to be a conduit for people. I want to use my life and my experiences, the good and the bad, and say, hey, I know it's hard. I know this is not easy. I know this can feel humiliating or embarrassing. I know you can feel guilt and shame, but there are still tools and resources out there to support you. Do not feel cut off from society and don't feel like you have to suffer in silence. I understand what it's like. And here's what I know of that can support you. I mean, and that's why I still show up to this day and do interviews like this one. I want to be, you know, a champion for people who are somewhere feeling stuck and like they have to suffer through this by themselves. Oh, I love it. So Patrice, I would love to ask you, what does live richer mean to you? Oh, that's so good. So to me, I think living richer is about embracing abundance and knowing that more is available to you no matter where you're starting, uh, no matter what you've been through, whether you are building or for the first time or rebuilding two, three, four times, like maybe you and I have had to, um, no matter where you are in the journey, just understanding that there is more available to you. And also to me, living richer is about seeking wisdom. I believe we become richer through wise counsel. And so whenever you can align yourself, which is why people are listening to this podcast and it's why people buy books like mine and why people tap into the resources available to them. It's just to understand that no one's an island. You're not expected to get all this stuff by yourself. But when you want to live richer, you definitely need to surround yourself with the resources, tools and relationships that will help you get there because it's complicated. Like just like the, you know, the credit belief survey says it's complicated. That's why there's so many misconceptions. But to live richer, you know, you want to tap into the resources like credit wise or like learn and grow or like live the live richer podcast or the redefining wealth podcast. It's just knowing that. It's available to you. You just have to believe in that abundance and then take action with the resources that are available to you. Patrice, that was so powerful. And I really loved what you just said. I want to thank all of my listeners for joining the podcast today and listening. And to remember, live richer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com.